Okay, so Sebastian, welcome, man, welcome. I'm glad to have you. Uh, this is the first time that I've actually had two new students on the same call. Normally it's an old student and a new student, and that means then that the old student just gets a review while I talk to the new student. Uh, because it's so repetitive, it's better to hear this stuff over and over and over again. Uh, but that's part of the uh, getting, let us say, dedicated to the Dhamma, is that we keep hearing it over and over and over again, because that's what we choose to listen to. Uh, and so uh, it seeks in soaks in really, really deep because we're spending so much of our time actually paying attention to the Dhamma. But we start with the point that the Dhamma is actually very simple. It's very, very simple to do. But it, it needs to be done over and over and over again. Uh, sort of like, um, maybe an analogy would be uh, a, a drip. That, that a patient has in the hospital. You know what I'm talking about? Normally it's saline. Sometimes they put some meds in there and it drips drop by drop by drop. And so it looks like that nothing much is happening, but the nurses have to keep coming in and changing those bottles because drop by drop, it empties out within a short period of time. So this is how the, uh, the Dhamma actually works, except that each time we practice it correctly, each time we get that drop of Dhamma, it is completely curative right then and there. And then we get sick again. And so we need to put in another drop. And pretty soon we get into the habit of just putting this drop of, do of Dhamma in. And that actually then becomes a preventive for the things that you began to talk about in your question. So. The way to get started then is we have to make things as absolutely dead easy as possible because that's going to be our goal ultimately anyway. So that's the way that we start. Now the Buddha talks about it in the sense of seclusion and gives the talk about um, the log in the bog. That in a swamp a tree will fall and then it eventually gets waterlogged will go from sitting on top of the water down to the point that it's just barely on the surface of the water and then eventually it will sink when it gets completely waterlogged. Uh, so the Buddha then asks the question, can a professional fire maker who knows what he's doing come and set that log on fire? The answer is clearly not because it's completely saturated and in this case underwater. But if we take that log and put it up on the land to get it high and dry, will it then be able to be burned? The answer to that is no, it's still completely waterlogged. However, with a bit of sunshine, which would be then uh, knowledge, and with a little bit of gravity, which we would then call uh, dropping or letting go and letting it drop and fall away, the log will then get a little place on it where we can get it started. But eventually a fire can burn that log into a dugout canoe or something. And then it can be put back into the swamp and used as transportation. So that's kind of the analogy. And so we have to start 
by recognizing that when we're in normal life, that's like being saturated with culture, saturated with the, the problems of life and our own bodily pains and any of that kind of stuff that we wind up not liking. And so we have to get the situation set up so that we are in a state of liking. In other words, you feel safe and secure in the room you're in. Maybe not safe and secure in a Dhamma hall at a meditation retreat, but in your room, you can feel safe and comfortable. That in fact, the comfort is better by sitting on furniture the way that you have been sitting. Squatting on the floor is often uncomfortable and not a good place to start. It's better to start comfortable, safe, and secure physically. And also then, by withdrawing from the world, we're not being invaded by the world. Aunt Susie's not calling us on the cell phone to continue her argument or any of that kind of stuff. We get away from all of that, only to recognize that we brought all of that with us. And it keeps coming up and we need another drop of Dhamma to let it go away, to throw that thought out and put a, dom, uh, a thought of Dhamma in the mind. And we practice and do that over and over and over again, just like a new recruit goes to uh, the gym and takes a very, very light weight, one or two kilograms, and then starts repping one, two, three, over and over and over again with very, very small light weights. That's what we're doing, one drop at a time of Dhamma, to keep bringing the mind out of the ordinary world, thoughts of the over there, thoughts of concepts, thoughts of past, thoughts of plans for the future, musing, any of that kind of stuff, and bring the mind back into the present moment to wake up fully. We can wake up in the sense of uh, sati, you can be sitting in a, at a restaurant and a, a waitress and you're talking to a friend and the waitress serves the food. We are aware that the, that the waitress has just put that plate right in front of me, but I didn't wake up enough to it to dig in. I'm still talking to the to my friend. OK, so that's a very, very weak sati. And that's the way that we all get started. But we have to start pumping iron and start saying, wait a minute, I'm going to stop all of this dialogue and all of that stuff in my mind and start eating the reality of the moment. And so this is how we begin to practice. And we do that over and over and over again, knowing that in the lay life, as you both are, that you're, you're not actually going to be spending quite a lot of your time doing that. If you were ordained and living in a Watt, there'd be nothing much else to do. Either listening to the Dhamma or practicing the Dhamma. But in lay life, we have all kinds of responsibilities to family, to kids, to uh, breadwinning, to going to this sport or that thing, and uh, a lot of time with our cell phones. And so um, the way to get started practice is just take time out on a regular basis, frequent basis, that the way that most meditation is taught is taught to do it one time a day for as long as you can endure it. 
there's actually contest. I think, in fact, they have a gold star or a, a, an Olympic medal for who can sit the longest and all of that kind of stuff. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but in order to sit for a long time, we already become uncomfortable. We only want to practice so long as we can get from comfortable into a state of joy, into a state of satisfaction. But that's really what we're looking for is to be satisfied because that's actually the exact opposite of dukkha. Dukkha, by the way, is translated many places in English into the word suffering. But if you went around like a Jehovah's Witness knocking on everybody's doors, say, here, please read this. You'll be free from suffering. Everybody will slam the door in our face with the thought or the words, I ain't suffering. Right. And that completely misses the point about the dukkha. The dukkha is, is that we find dissatisfaction in things. And that we can actually begin to practice in the beginning and wind up feeling dissatisfied about meditation. That happens often, especially if the uh, uh, instructions are not clear, that we have to actually clear out the mind and free ourselves of all the things that we're dissatisfied with and start, uh, let us say, paying more attention to the things that are worth paying attention to that we are satisfied with. An example would be the breath. Wow, if you don't breathe, you're going to die right away. How would you feel in the process of dying simply because you couldn't take a breath? There's a pillow in your face, you're underwater, you're choking yourself, whatever it is. If you can't breathe, you're going to struggle, right? You really are going to struggle. You're going to fight, you're going to claw, you're going to do whatever you can if you can't breathe. Isn't it wonderful that you can? Isn't it wonderful that you can? So let's do it. <laughs> that is an it's an automatic process only because we let it go automatic. Because we've got that facility in the brain that even when you're asleep in, in bed at night or maybe even in a coma, still the lungs will work enough to get them breathing and the heart will pump enough to keep the brain alive. Right. But we're not looking for subsistence. We're looking for glorious, you know, like life and freedom every moment. You can call it joy everlasting, not because it's going to last forever, but because right now it keeps going. And so putting the breathing into the practice brings this moment into comfort, safety, security, satisfaction and something to pay attention to that gives us great relief from all the suffering of the world. If this needs to be practiced over and over again, and often when the students then go out into the world or have to deal with the world, they haven't practiced sufficiently enough so that they remember to practice right then and there when they need it. And that's an interesting point. Um, by the way, last night, uh, due to a heavy rain, I had one of these uh, biting, creepy crawler centipedes about this long come into bed, and I could feel him in there, and finally I got a hold of him, and as soon as I did, without knowing what it was, he got a hold of me, <laughs> and bit right here on this finger last night, 
and slowly, slowly, slowly it started to swell. And now the swelling is down into this joint and into the palm of the hand. And this finger started to have sensations also. So for me, that was an excellent time to practice Dhamma because otherwise I'm going to lay in bed and just hate the fact that my finger is on fire. Because those centipedes, that's one thing that they're really known for about in Thailand is ask any of the Thai people and they'll say, it hurts. <laughs> it really, really hurts. But for me, I would just say, well, yeah, but it'll, it'll only hurt for a little while. I'll be okay. The best thing to do is to be distracted, to take my mind away from it and do something else. Like intentionally going to sleep is what I chose to do. Do not pay attention to the, uh, to the finger. And so I was able to manage that. But a lot of people, they don't. They'll go run to the hospital or try to get some ointment or any of that kind of stuff, rather than recognizing that the real cure is not a, that kind of salve. It's to salve it mentally, that this will be okay. It'll be over. I'll have a day or so of a swollen finger, but I'm not a swollen finger. Okay, that there is strong sensation in the finger. So this is a way that we can practice if we have the ability to, if we remember and have the strong mind so that you can tackle those things that happen in life. Is to just um, have the mindfulness or the sati to look at what's going on and then change. In this case, change the I don't like it, wow, this is painful, oh, I want it to go away kind of thoughts into the nurturing kind of thoughts. So let's look at that finger. That finger, wow, I've never felt quite in as intense pain as this. It's kind, of, it, it's kind of like fire and pressure and all kinds of stuff all at the same time. The fact is, is that it's not much venom, but it's really, really potent venom. And it's in there destroying all kinds of stuff, and the finger is really yelling about it. <laughs> and so that's the way that we look at it, is the finger. Oh, poor finger. Oh, it needs some comfort. Let's see if we can push the pressures around and take care of it this way, you know, and everything's going to be all right. This is a temporary thing. This is not a rattlesnake. It's just a centipede, and we'll be okay. So that's the kind of way that we can handle those kind of situations at any point but we need to have the skills to remember to do that even in the face of when something is really really big okay so let's look at then is, is that that's a gradual practice then in fact Bhikkhu Buddhadasa talks about it in the sense of that when one is sick that's a really really good to opportunity to practice it's sort of like, okay, I'm tired of lifting the really little weights. I can handle all of that. Let me go to the big stuff and start handling the world. Let me start handling to be, able, to be able to see that people are lying to me when they're lying without getting caught up in what they're saying, okay? And so um, we can apply this technique to whatever happens out there. But it's a very, very simple little thing. And that is, never mind that I don't like it. I can become the position of for myself rather than the victim that is in pain. The example that I use with that is that a woman who has a sick dog, maybe an injured dog, comes into the vet with her dog and they place it on the metal table and then the vet starts to work and operate on the dog. 
Now, if the, the vet is more than likely going to have a really clean mind and he knows what he's doing and he cuts this and that, while the woman is there all freaked out about her dog. Okay, so she's selfish about it because she cares about the dog. She clings to the dog. But I'm using the word caring about it because there's a difference between caring about and caring for. So we're going to actually start changing caring about to care for, just like the, the, the vet. The vet can do the job of curing the dog because he's caring for the dog while the woman is just freaked out because she cares about the dog. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, okay. Because that's what we have to do when we're, when we're faced with a sick dog moment in life is don't care about it so much. Care for it instead. Instead of being critical of what happens in the mind or critical of other people, we can nurture them instead. This is the Dhamma, to nurture rather than to criticize. Now, basically why we criticize so much is because we've got a whole long list of rules. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of rules. I don't think any human being has ever bothered to write down all the rules that they have. And if he did, that would be a rule, too. you got to write down all your rules, you see. And so, um, but we can recognize, for instance, the language that you know, English, has thousands of rules just to follow the language. And the various languages have various rules. And so all of the complexities of life, then, mean that the rules are complex and often even contradictory. And here we are, the poor victim of our own rule system. This is broken as any government's rule system or laws. And so the Buddha's recommendation is, is to throw all of the rules, all the supposed tos, and start over again in this present moment. And so in the case of the finger, I don't like the finger hurting because I'm supposed to not like the finger hurting. And I call it that, that I didn't have a mommy who had the, uh, let us say, the skill of being able to kiss it and make it all better again. That was an old technique. People used to go to mommy and she'd kiss it and make it better. Now you go to mommy and she'll grab you up and rush you to the hospital because she cares so much. So we were taught to care too much about the body rather than nurturing it. We're critical of it. And then we become critical of other people instead of nurturing them. So this whole process that we're talking about, if you start nurturing yourself, start um, Finding something that's joyful, beautiful about what's happening, anything that's happening right now is interesting. Especially if we look at it from the position of I care for it because I'm the physician here. But instead, we become the patient and care too much about it. So this is a tool then that you can use when you do go out into the world after you've already practiced over and over and over again, we practice to get the mind set so that when we do have to deal with the difficulties of the world, we can handle it 
because we know we can, we've already practiced. It's sort of like uh, a beginning piano player uh, goes to music lessons starting in September and then in May, he has to walk out on the stage with all the other students and do a bit of piece for a recital. His second year, he practices and then at the end of the year, he has to give a recital. Okay, so that recital time is, is correct. If you did it this way, that we practiced only an hour for the recital time, and then we actually are out publicly performing all the time throughout the year, that's how most people live. They practice just a little bit, and then they got to go out and perform that in the world. The way to really think about it is, is that, no, I'm either going to mix the two together, I'm going to reverse it so that I spend all the time practicing and practicing and practicing. So when I go out for performance, I can do a good job of it. Maybe not spectacular, but good enough. That's what we're looking for is good enough. We're not trying to win any trophies. We're just going to be feeling good about it because it's good enough. One of the examples of that is, is that students get a lot of doubt, doubt about Buddhism, doubt about how to practice, doubt about this, that, and the other thing. And the fact is, is already I've told you guys enough for you to practice. Enough is the secret word. Enough. You don't have to know every answer to every question. What we need to do is to set those questions down and say, never mind about any of that kind of stuff. I can come back and feel really good. Even while the body's on fire in some way or another, you can still feel good. I can handle this. I don't have to feel bad because the finger's on fire. I can handle this. And so this is the way we begin to look at everything in life. Just because we don't like it don't mean that it's bad. But generally what happens is, is that if we don't like it, then we try to push it away and escape from it. And then every time it shows back up, we hate it. Because that's the habit that we built up. But if you start practicing, oh, dear finger, you're going to be okay. Everything is all right. We'll be fine tomorrow. No worries, no problems. Then that kind of uh, thought process actually makes the finger feel better all by itself. Because we're giving it love. We're giving it attention. We're giving it nourishment as opposed to hating it. And that's basically the whole practice right there. The question is, can you remember to do that just at the right time when you need it the most? <laughs> do, you, do you remember that, hey, you can handle this. That whatever hindrances that come up in the mind, you can throw those out and clean the mind out and say, hey, I can take care of this. I can nurture this. I don't have to criticize. I don't have to hate it. I can, in fact, can enjoy a brand new experience. I've never felt pain that hard before. <laughs> so, Liam, is that a good enough answer to your question? Is that enough? You have more. <laughs> it's enough. Um, and yet, I'm still noticing some other thoughts about when I feel like I have the sati to remember. Um, let's say I'm tired uh, and irritable and I remember to come back and try to enjoy or at least experience those feelings but then I'll have a lapse in concentration and then react to so say 
uh, be triggered or start an argument or something like that because I'm irritable. And then I get frustrated because I think, oh, I was meant to remember and I didn't remember. And then frustration. You kicks broke in. the rule. You were supposed to concentrate and you broke that rule. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And look how miserable you can feel because you broke some rule and you just made up that rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the right thing to do is says, oh, never mind that I have lost my concentration or whatever that is. Nah, no problem. Just start again. But instead, you take a, a reprieve of five or ten minutes just to beat yourself to death over it. <laughs> yeah. And so now you've got a burning, stinging finger of the mind. <laughs> and you don't and you're not looking at what's really going on that you're actually creating your own misery because you broke some rule that you made up yeah i think the rules so jumped into my head from many many hours of practicing the for example the anapana taught by goenka where you're just trying to constantly focus on the sensations of breathing without breaking it momentarily so that's the rule that i've jumped into my head and then if i break the rule then frustration kicks in and then I'm less likely to remember and then the, the whole cycle of uh, suffering mm -hmm. continues. Well, that's partly because uh, it's taught incompletely and in an ordinary way. That that in fact is, is what most meditators do is, is that they fuss and they fume and they fight with themselves until they finally start to develop some skills. But sometimes those actual skills that we need are taught, oh, don't do that. That's not how you're supposed to practice. Don't do the right thing. Here, let's do an incomplete job of it instead. That way you'll stay around longer and be a student longer. And after all, we're building a dynasty here, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's part of the Western trip, that correct practice is known in Thailand, but it's done in Thai language and the translations have not been done well. That we do in fact have some really extraordinary humans that have come out of the Thai tradition, especially the most uh, interesting ones coming from Achan Chan's uh, system. And so I, I knew Achan Sumedho 1985 or something like that. I met him at Watsuan Mok. And Achan Cha on that same visit, I met uh, Achan Cha. So that shows the connection between Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and, and Achan Cha. Though a lot of people says, oh, he had Mun, Achan Mun as his teacher. But I don't know of anybody who's had just one teacher. Do you know of anybody who had just one teacher? Mm -mm. Doesn't work like that. No, Achan Cha was definitely a student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Uh, and so, like I said, in the 1930s, he started letting this stuff come out public. We don't have to hide it away anymore. And so that's why we're teaching it the way that we do, because the ordinary way is the standard way of, of teaching until the students start asking the right questions. Then, in fact, uh, uh, have you seen any of the Guru Viking videos? Yeah. There, there is one of them that I had with uh, uh, Dan Ingram where we were discussing the Mahasi method. 
And he says, oh, I brought this passage, and he brought a passage from Mahasi out of Cultivating Joy. But he says it's buried way deep in this other book over here. And it's the same thing, the way that Anapanasati is traditionally taught, is that um, it's done kind of in order, and that the gladdening of the mind is never really looked at. Uh, and yet it's fairly clear that we have to remove the hindrances. We have to remove the unwholesome thoughts. And how we do that is by uh, uh, pegging them out with a wholesome thought. Okay, you know what I'm talking about, pegging it out? It's uh, uh, if a piece of wood is a, a peg that's holding furniture together and you want to remove that peg, you take another peg that's just a little bit smaller and you and you throw that uh, old heavy tight peg out and now the new peg is really easy to remove because it doesn't quite fit the hole so this is a way that we look at with we're going to peg out all of the unwholesome thoughts with these tiny easy going happy little thoughts so that's another way of describing anapanasati but again as i was about to mention that's step 10 of Anapanasati, and look how much we could do before we ever get around to gladdening the mind, except mm -hmm. that in every one of the books that I know of, I think four of them now, on Anapanasati from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, he mentions eventually that, that uh, um, gladdening the mind, brightening the mind, goes along with the first bit of practice. It's the first thing that we do, in fact. We do that first. And then later we'll work with feelings, but the first thing we have to do is to get the mind focused on gladdening the mind, brightening the mind, changing the thoughts that we have from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. But there's a little sequence in there. That is, first, we have to wake up and remember to do this. And then we look at what's really going on. In the case of the finger, I would wake up with the pain. I knew what was going on. The finger was throbbing with agony. <laughs> and so now I have to then see, now that I can see what's going on, is that I hate it. And I had to change that feeling, change it from hating it into curiosity, loving kindness, uh, nurturing, telling it everything's going to be all right and we can just sleep right through this and we don't have to pay attention to this pain. I can just rest easy. No place to go. I don't have to go to the hospital or go into medicines or any of that kind of stuff. I can handle this. Okay, so that whole mentality then is what we're going to do with whatever dissatisfactions we have in the mind because mostly we're going to be remembering things that happened in the past that's the way that memory operates. The very, very good things that happen, we don't remember them nearly as well as the, as the dangers. I'll probably remember this finger issue the rest of my life. But one day I was tapping my fingers on the desk and then I forgot about that and I didn't do it anymore, right? Because it didn't register, it wasn't heavy enough. I hear some background noise. Do you guys hear background yes. noise? Yeah, this could be from, from my side. Can turn off my microphone. Yes, that's it. No, it's back again. Okay, now it's off.
So I don't know what what that was. You have a noisy room, I suppose. Is that right? The room is noisy. Yeah, that was just um. All right. In any case, we can come back to the to the point that in the literature, gladdening the mind is very deep in the books because they're in the uh, the order of the Satipatthana. It's actually a very ancient system that we're dealing with here, with the Four Noble Truths actually being uh, uh, out of Ayurvedic medicine before the time of the Buddha, and also the four natural elements that are that were worldwide by that time. All of the cultures of the world saw four elements. Even the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, had uh, solids, liquids, fire, and air. Those are the four elements in India. And that that's what the Buddha did was he just took those four elements and applied them to the body to look and instead of looking on the outside, looking on the inside. And here's a physical body with a lot of liquids in it. And the fire is the mind. The consciousness, okay, the consciousness is actually the nutrient that keeps the body going. That it's not just food, that the consciousness also is there to keep it alive. So um, that's why the Satipatthana and the Anapanasati Sutta follow that sequence of body, feeling, mind, and mind objects. But you can think of it like this. Imagine a pot-bellied stove or a wood-burning cook stove, often black wrought iron. And then you take lumber or wood and put into that stove. And that wood that we're putting in is actually uh, what's coming in through our consciousness. In other words, new information. And then the mind on fire is going to set that wood of that consciousness on fire and consume it and producing smoke and heat, which is the objects of the mind, okay? Now, if the wood that we're bringing in has gotten dirty, wet, full of cow dung, it's gonna be both hard to burn and not get much heat and a whole lot of smoke. And that's how most people live their lives. And then the, the smoke and the ash and all of that keep piling back into the wood. And so we keep reburning the past rather than using the new fresh wood of the actual um, sense awareness of what reality is right now. And so if we keep putting brand new wood in that cook stove and keep putting brand new wood in that cook stove, then it will start to burn better, giving a whole lot more heat, a whole lot more juice, a whole lot more light force and not so much smoke. And so that's the way that we're practicing Anapanasati is let's put some good firewood in just a little bit right now. And then later, we're going to put just a little bit of good firewood in there right now. And then we begin to check all the wood that we put in there. And then we're not going to deal with the past. We're going to deal with things as in the present moment instead. And then we've got good fuel. The reality of the situation as opposed to the old junk coming from the past that we also throw in the mix, okay? And that throwing in the mix is basically what we call nama rupa, or in English, we would call it perception. 
So we look at something on the outside, then we perceive it based upon our knowledge of the past, and then we cook it, and it winds up being the product. And that product then is what we deal with in the sense of pasa, and that's where it gives our feelings. But if we burned cow dung, we're going to get cow dung fire and cow dung smell. So let's not put cow dung. That's the way that we do it is, is that we begin to only focus on what's happening right here, right now, and start forgetting about the past. Tamarado, it feels like the effort required to repeatedly do that is very tiring at times. So it's a lot. It's well, like it's that's why you have to pump wire. I mean, do you think that you can go into a gym as a brand new kid on the block and then do uh, pull-ups with two pounds of uh, kilo hour after hour after hour? No, you're going to get tired very quickly. Yes. Why? Because you don't have the skill. You don't have the strength built up. So I don't recommend that people practice very long. Mm. But in fact, most people practice for about, uh, they talk about it with Goenka, one hour you get this benefit, two hours you get more benefit, three yeah. hours and now you're cooking, right? Okay, yeah. guess what? I know people who have done three hours and are just as argumentative and unhappy as they were when they started because they're not actually making any change in there. They're just noting it well and keeping it. And so they wind up seeing dukkha, especially with the Mahasi method, dukkha, dukkha, dukkha everywhere. All I see is dukkha. And then we start living in a city dump, and that's why we wind up with things that uh, are been referred to as dark night of the soul. We'll talk about that later. But basically, we get really heavy because we can see all the dukkha, but we're not cleaning house. This method is as soon as you see the dukkha, you throw that out. You don't store it away in your sankara. We're going to be putting new happy sankaras in. We're going to start building a new happy past mm. and let the old unhappy past settle to the bottom. And so we need to keep practicing and keep practicing and keep practicing, but only for short periods of time. So let's look at an hour a day. If you take an hour a day and break it into three 20 minute sessions, you'll get a whole lot more benefit out of it. If you break it into four 15-minute sessions, you'll get even more value out of it. If you do it six times a day at 10 minutes, that's probably the best until you get skilled and then go for five minutes 12 times a day. Half the day. You're going to every hour, you're going to take five minutes off and brighten that hour. We're going to make this hour the best we can. You know, if you actually work for one hour and then work for two hours, the second hour, you're not getting so much done. And if you actually work for three hours, you're quite unproductive because you've gotten tired, whether you're writing emails or uh, training dogs or driving a cab or anything like that. Hour after hour, we get tired of it until we build up the skills for it. And in fact, most people have an attention span of about 20 minutes or so. And yet somehow or another, university classes last 45 or 50 minutes which means that at the halfway through the class, the only one who's still awake is the teacher. <laughs> Why? Because he's done this over and over and over and over again, so he can stay awake through the whole process. So using that 20 minutes is an absolute maximum time, but we want to do it often. 
three times a day, six times a day, or even 12 times a day for five, just five minutes. The question is, can you get yourself into a really good state in five minutes, or does it take a bit longer? So I notice I've been doing the five minutes, and right around the four-minute mark is when I start to notice the sukha, um, and then it's over. <laughs> I think, should I keep going here, or should well, I just be happy with that enough? Let me give this analogy. Have you ever heard one of the laws or rules of uh, stand-up comics, comedians? Is leave them early and leave them laughing. In other words, don't wear out your uh, welcome. Yeah. You have to. You have to leave when they still want you, and you leave them laughing and wanting more. Okay, so this is actually how we're going to end our meditation system is on a high note. Mm -hmm. But if we sit there long enough, we'll get uh, uh, dull, depressed, and hoping that the bell will ring. Yeah. Then yeah. we get up out of that meditation grumpy because we got ourselves grumpy because we were too tired to do it. Okay, yeah. so the answer then is, is that we're actually going to put some juice into this. We're actually going to put effort in it. And the effort probably doesn't last very long, so let's just do it for a few minutes. Do it just long enough to get yourself into a really, really good mood. Yeah. Wow, I can handle that email. The email that I didn't want to write, so I decided I'd meditate instead. I'm ready. I'm jumping. I'm ready to write that email now. Let me edit. <laughs> I can handle that email now. Okay, so that's the way that we want to practice is so that we can reach that high note and then finish the meditation and use that high to go about our daily life. If, if we always end the meditation at that point, um, is it then hard to practice the skill of jhana? No, this is in fact what you're doing. Leaving on a high means you're leaving in first jhana. You okay. want to get yourself into first jhana and then you begin to practice so that you can actually open your eyes when you're in first jhana, get up when you're in first jhana, turn around in first jhana, and then start walking around. Yeah. Then, in fact, it's quite easy to do jhana when walking meditation. First jhana is, in fact, the goal of, of life, if there is a goal, is to be in a state of satisfaction rather than a state of dissatisfaction. A mind full of hindrances is finding this dissatisfaction and that dissatisfaction probably one or more every breath or so. But when we start practicing correctly, then we start throwing those kind of thoughts out and having wholesome thoughts, thoughts about this moment, thoughts about the body. Okay, uh, going and looking for where's the tension? Is there any tension in the neck or is there any anxiety in the chest? Is there any sadness or grief in the tummy? Is there any knee aches? And so we look around like that, but in the Goenka method, they've made it highly stylized and highly organized to where really what we're looking for is not that can we body scan, but what we're looking for is any tensions that need to be nourished. Mm. And so the outcome of that practice is, is that we become completely relaxed, which is one of the factors of first jhana. Mm is having the body relaxed, having uh, the sense of satisfaction, as well as the sense of success. Success is the fourth item, is the Sama Sankapa, to come out of our victimhood, and at least for five minutes, let's be the champion of the world. Let's be the emperor of our own pile of dirt.
I like that phrase. Everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt, but most of them are buried under the dirt. Quite a few are trying to claw themselves out of it, but a few of us just sit on top of the world, leaving that old pile of dirt alone. So that's the way of looking at it. For five minutes, get on top of the world. Mm. For five minutes, get your mojo. For five minutes, let's really sit here and breathe and have a great moment, a great time. And we do that once an hour, and pretty soon it starts to be infringing upon the old habits of misery. And we start developing new habits of joy. And also think about it like this. And in fact, what we're doing is we're developing a snowball. Cool and crisp and hard. And all it takes is a snowball to roll it down the hill in the snow, and maybe you're going to get an avalanche. That's what happens is we keep practicing this over and over and over again, just adding a little bit of snow, and pretty soon it starts to snowball, and we mm -hmm. have a, an, an avalanche so that you really, really are just howling with laughter on the inside. Wow, what a great life this is. I feel so grateful for being alive. Okay, so that's the way that this stuff snowballs, but we have to start in the positive direction. How can you possibly get into a really good state if you keep telling yourself how bad things are? So, uh, Sebastian, do you have any questions? I just wanted to ask, like, uh, what is it, like, how to come to close with the fact, like, uh, how strong old habits can be, like, uh, like one can, like, it's, I think it might still be, like, confusion about, uh, about like, the concept of the trip, like, that you just need to keep putting it in, like, while some part of the mind still thinks it should be, like, a dialysis, like, all the bad shit gets flooded out and uh, loaded in with the new ideas, but, okay, okay. Uh, so, let me, let me Hang on to the question and let me address something that you just said while it's um, out front. When you said something that's a part of the mind, and often students will say something like in the background. And that fits in with, um, have you ever heard the phrase that humans only use about 10% of their brain? Yeah. Okay, that's out of the 1950s, but I think it is almost common knowledge. The answer to that is, of course, it's wrong. We use 100% of our mind. We only do it about 10% of the time, probably less. Okay. And what that means is, is that we look at what's happening in this mind moment. So there's no, it's not possible to have background thoughts. It's that you've got this vault you're calling a foreground thought, and then you, because that's the one you want to have. And then you have this next thought, which you call a background thought. And it's just a thought, but it's unwholesome. And so catching on to those unwholesome thoughts to say, aha, I see that whole unwholesome thought sneaking in there. And by doing, aha, I see you, Myra, we've actually brightened the mind already. As opposed to, oh, no, there are that background noises again, which is the normal way we do it because we've got a rule about it. So basically part of the practice, if not the whole practice, is learning to become friends with your parts that you don't like your dark side. Love yourself warts and all, they say. Okay, so yeah, the mind wanders away. Never mind, start again. 
Westerners can't do that never mind part. <laughs> they, when they catch themselves screwing up, they want to give ourselves a good tongue lashing, if not an actual beating. Make us feel really, really bad, and we don't recognize that, hey, that whole process is really unwholesome. And not only that, but it's robbing us of the sati that we had because we remembered that we were going to come back to the breath or come back to the meditation. Instead, we flagellate ourselves. And so that's a very common practice. Catch it. Notice that that's what you're doing. It says, aha, I caught myself trying to break a rule and then fussing at myself because I broke a rule. That there is no rule that the mind wanders away from the breath. And there is no rule, but it's a really good idea to never mind. Start again. Come back to the joy. Come back to the acceptance. Come back to the nourishment. And continue on. But no, we have to take a moment to punish ourselves. That happened when we were children, by the way. That when we get caught making a mess, we got to do some penance. If you made a mess in your room, you've got to go clean it up and you got to feel bad and do it when you're told to do it. Rather than having fun. That I had a student one time who was really angry with his kids because they kept making a mess and he kept telling them to clean up the room and it didn't get cleaned up. And so it says, OK, the way to do that is to take a garbage bag or some bag that you can use into their fresh one, not one that's <laughs> already got garbage in it. And uh uh, hold it open like it was a, a basketball net and let the kid practice cleaning up the room by throwing all his toys in that bag and have a game out of it. That's the way to do it because that that's successful, but the child loves it and it's time with his dad as opposed to resenting it because dad came in and cleaned up my room and I don't want to do it right now. And so we have, and so we actually, our dad teaches us to feel bad because he feels bad, but we can't blame him for feeling bad because he was taught that by his folks. Odd, always, all the way back to when people decided that misery was the preferred way of living rather than enjoy. I don't know when that happened, but it certainly happened a long time ago. And so we can't blame the society anymore. And you can't fix the society. You're not big enough and strong enough. In fact, right now, you're not even big enough and strong enough to clean out your own mind. But you're working at it. Let's go. And pretty soon then you'll get to the point that you can go deal with the world without trying to fix it. But at least you can be joyful out there. And let's also define what the word world means, because the world that you live in is the world of your senses. And the world out there is the world of concepts. Which world are you going to live in? The real world, the world of your senses? Are you going to live in a conceptualized world? And we can conceptualize all day. An example would be Putin and uh, uh, Ukraine. And we can conceptualize, but we can't do anything about it except feel bad one way or the other, or hopeful followed by more disappointment. So that's the, the normal outcome of everything that happens in society is disappointment. That even when we win, that win is a short time, and then we go back into disappointment again. 
until we train the mind out of that. One thought at a time, every time you recognize that this is an unwholesome thought, I'm not satisfied, let me get into a state of satisfaction, I'm okay. I've got enough, I've got everything I need to be okay right now. Because if I want something I don't have, then I am depleted, I'm deficient. I am not whole and I'm not good enough until I get what I want. This is the teaching of the Buddha in the form of Paticca Samapada. But if we can train the mind so that we can get what we want easily and be okay when we don't get what we want and be happy instead, then we're making really good progress. Can you carry that out and around all the time? The answer to that is certainly not, not now, but we're working on it. We'll get there. Yeah. And when something happens that I can't handle, note it well and let it pass. I did handle it. I noticed that I had gotten uptight and anxious, but I can breathe it out and let it go. Eventually, that's what you're going to do anyway. So why sit there kind of half asleep to the fact that we're full of anxiety and fear when if we could see it directly, we can say, never mind. I don't have to worry about that right now. I can take a deep breath and just relax. Over and over and over and over again, we practice this until we get pretty good at it. Just like pian practicing the piano. If you actually practice the piano, you'll get pretty good at what you're practicing. That's true for sports, it's true for golf, it's true for any sport that I know of, it's true for karate and military music. It's life itself starts with basic skills that we repeat over and over again until we get good at them and then we add new skills. And when we got the skills sufficient enough, that means that we're feeling satisfied and we can go around our day living satisfied regardless of what the world throws at us. And it's a good idea to not go to the conceptualized world, but the real world will throw really enough stuff at you to deal with. So let's deal with just the real world of our senses. So both of you are in a room right now, so your world actually ends at the wall because you can't see through that. I'm not sure that's how it's going to kind of sense, right? I'm sorry, what was that, Sebastian? I'm outside, actually. I'm on a balcony as well, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, so you are in paradise then. Yeah. There's a nice view on the mountains. Okay, so wherever we are, let's just start paying attention to what's real around us. And if anything happens that's real around us, like a friend comes up and stabs us with a knife, we should be aware of that. And in fact, if you're really, really wise, you're going to see him coming. You're going to see what's happening before he even pulls the knife out. You might be able to talk him out of it before he pulls it out, if you're watching what's going on. So if he does stab you, how are we going to handle that? We could die happily. Thank you, brother. <laughs> He's all over now. You did me a favor. <laughs> I don't even have to breathe through this one. <laughs> but those kind of things are really tough. We have to really, really practice for a while with the easy stuff 
so that we can build it up and find it. We can dumbbell 50 kilos. And when we can dumbbell 50 kilos, then we can go for the big heavy stuff. But you're not going to be able to bench press uh, 200 kilos until you can uh, pump 50 kilos. All right. But you can't pump 50 kilos if you can't pump 25 and you can't pump 25 if you can't pump 10. So this is all a matter of building up. So whenever you come across a dumbbell that you can't uh, pick up and carry around, then at least note it well and let it pass. OK, I can't do that dumbbell right now. Let me go back and do some stuff that I can do and feel good about that. Mm. And that may be a meeting with the boss. That might be an interview, whatever it is. You got to find out where your heavy stuff is so you can leave it alone for a while until you get your mind ready for it. Mm. <sighs> There's nothing to it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Plan for yourself to figure out what's the right timing to do. That maybe five minutes is not enough. Maybe mm. it is for you. Mm. If, if five minutes is not enough, then next time take 10. That's the way to look at it. Make it easy on yourself. So you wind up having in life just really easy because you're easy all the time. There's nothing that comes by that's going to upset you enough to make you unhappy because you've got control. You're the emperor of your own pile of dirt, you know. And you don't have to be buried under it. <laughs> so, Sebastian, do you have any questions? Ma'am, how about you? It's actually been really helpful. So, um, I think any other questions I have might be skipping ahead. Um, maybe I'll just practice with what you've Yes, I think good. That's that's right. This is enough. You've had enough now, so go practice that. Yeah. How about you, Sebastian? Anything? No, I'm I'm good for now as well. <laughs> All right. So I invite both of you to uh, uh, call again to practice, and then in a few days, give me a ring, and we'll continue on. Who knows what serendipity might bring? You guys might call back at the same time again, like you did this time. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and I also invite you to look at the um, the sangha groups because we've already got quite a crowd now of nobles who were talking to each other in noble language, and we also have a project going on called the Open Sangha Foundation that you might want to become interested in because we're looking for volunteers and recruits. And so if you're uh, interested in the Dhamma, the Dhamma means that you've got to give back. We become generous. Once we get the gift of the Dhamma, we get so much of it that we want to give it away. And so that's what we're doing. We're getting a project so that people can uh, happily work together to get a website going to invite other people basically to go visit their own local watts and temples and get around some of the nobles that exist all over the world. And instead, the Westerners read books. Go on Reddit. We do expensive retreats that are conducted by people who don't know what they're talking about. So it's better to get with the monks because they, if, especially if, if you let them know that you're interested in the real teachings of the Buddha, not uh, uh, the ordinary stuff. 
that are not tourists here for real students of the Dhamma. So if you present yourself that way, and so we're getting a website going so that people can learn all the things that we need to do. And we've already got the 501c3 package done. And so now we're beginning to get some of the other projects. So whatever skills that you have, you might want to join uh, the, the Sangha group. It's actually going to be on Discord. We do most of the work on, on Skype. But because of so many that might be involved, uh, we put it on um, Discord instead. So follow the links. And the important thing is just a, um, there's a, a thing to click called meeting room. With Skype, you do a call or join call or whatever like that. There's a, there's a pop-up button that's easy to see. Uh, to where on Discord, it's over in the left-hand side. You have to look for all of the other things, and they'll find one thing to click on is the meeting room. Okay. Now, right now, the uh, the next meeting is scheduled. I think it's going to be that time. Uh, is uh, for me Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Uh, and Pacific time is going to be Monday evening at 3 p.m. And so, whatever time zones you're in, uh, you can figure out uh, what time the the meeting starts. And so I invite you to come join us, to get involved, that I don't charge a fee at all. But I do hope that students will put in some time because they'll get the value out of that also. Okay, so that's my little sales pitch. <laughs> and I hope to see you guys uh, around the Skype and Discord group. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you a lot, yeah. Yes, okay. Well, we'll see you guys later. See you. Nice meeting you, Ryan. Yes, nice to meet you both. I'm really happy nice. that you both called. Nice to meet you, Sebastian. Thank you again, Damarado. Okay. Thanks, Bo. By the way, Sebastian, your microphone needs a little help. It's a kind of a blurry or muted or something. Not muted, but uh, uh, distortion. I hear some distortion in it, so you might want to check that out. Okay, I'll look into that. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.